This is Checked In with Splash. Hey everyone, Camille Whitestern here. In today's episode of Checked In with Splash, I sit down with a true maven of event management and marketing, none other than Laura Lilly, who leads global experiential marketing and events for Hootsuite. No big deal. Actually, you know what? Laura is a big deal. And in today's episode, we dig into how she's navigated her career to date, what shifts she's observed in the evolutionary role of the event marketer, and of course, she gives us a detailed look at her events playbook for Hootsuite. So from measuring ROI and proving success to effective communication tactics with leadership, how to get buy-in and programmatic support from sales, and you guessed it, tips for weaving your social and event strategies together for maximum success. We honestly cover a lot in this episode. So let's go ahead and get checked in. Welcome back, everyone. It's your host, Camille. And today I am joined by a very, very special guest. We've got Laura Lilly from Hootsuite here. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to ask you to do a special kind of introduction today. Normally, I go into a little spiel about who we have on. And today, I'm going to shake up our guest introduction with a little quick game of two truths and a lie. So I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself, Laura, actually, using two truths and a lie. And let's see if I can guess what the lie is. And I'm very much putting you on the spot because I did not forewarn you about this fun opener. But if you're willing to play along with me for today, I think it's a a new, interesting way to introduce you to our listeners. Are you down? Yes, I'm down. (laughs) Okay, amazing. So I'll give you a second to think about it. But two truths and a lie. And you know, you don't have to get too crazy with it. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. You put me on the spot. <laughs> Let me think. Two, two truths and light about my, like who I am or just me in, in general. Yeah. Anything like, I don't know what would be fun for our listeners to know about you before we dive into the real reason I have you on, which is to really dig into, first of all, your career journey to date. I love hearing those stories. It's so fascinating for me. And I think for our listeners, I want to, you know, I have a bunch of more questions about how you're leveraging events Mm -hmm. in your marketing strategy, how you use social to power those events and or, you know, measure success. I've got a bunch of questions up my sleeve. But before we get into the nitty gritty, (laughs) tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Okay. Well, two truths and lies. So three facts. One, growing up, I was a competitive ballet dancer. Two, I am a math wizard. I can calculate anything in my brain like that. And three, I am obsessed with reality television, Bravo related shows. (laughs) Okay, that's a hard one. I'm going to say the two truths are... And this might be me giving away some like self-projection here, but (laughs) I'm going to say you definitely did ballet. You, okay, great. We're one for three. (laughs) I'm going to say the other truth is that you're obsessed with reality TV and you are a Bravo fangirl for life, as am I. Okay, good. 
clearly I'm okay. not a good liar. And I thought, okay, what is the one thing that I'm not good at? And it's math. But I am good at math with a calculator. <laughs> you know what? Aren't we all? And thank goodness for calculators. Thanks for, you know, entertaining me a little bit with this little game. Okay, let's get into the real reason I brought you on. You have a really impressive career background in events. You've been working in events for a long time. (laughs) But just tell me that story, the beginning, you know, bring me back to the beginning of your professional story and journey and just paint a picture for me and our listeners of how you have gotten to where you are today running global events for Hootsuite, which is, you know, a very impressive company to work for. So how did you get here? Yeah. So I would say when I first started out, I didn't even know you could be an event marketer. I didn't even know it was a career. Back in university, I was so focused on being public relations. And so that's originally where I got my start. I started interning in PR for a boutique PR company that did a lot of restaurant focused events. And, you know, the one thing I fell in love with was the events side of public relations. Public relations also has the whole pitching to journalists and, you know, all of that side of things. And that side, I'm like, ooh, I don't really love this. And this is majority of PR. And the events were like a smaller part of the PR. I'm like, how can I just focus on that? And still didn't really realize you could be an event marketer at that time either. So then I went into wedding planning. And that is a whole other... <laughs> realm of the world, which is, you know, you learn a lot and you learn a lot about guest experience. And totally, it was very fun. Great at the time. I would not want to be doing wedding planning anymore today. I'm so happy where I've come, but I'm appreciative for my past there and got into catering event planning through that as well too. So learned all the whole like kitchen back of house side of things and then started to get more on that corporate event marketer track going into the publishing industry. And I worked for two magazines in the Vancouver, Canada area, doing a lot of their award shows and cocktail parties and dinners. And then I moved over to consumer packaged goods. And I did work at a natural organic cereal company and did a bunch of shows for them, trade shows in person, like direct to consumer. And then I found myself at Hootsuite. It's almost this November will be four years I've been at Hootsuite. So then made the move to SaaS. And I must say it is my favorite industry so far. And I didn't think it would be. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about SaaS compared to the other industries you've you know worked in? Yeah, I think it's just like the innovation and, you know, being like on like the latest technology and the latest trends. And it's really easy to adapt. And you have those open minded people in SaaS and that kind of startup mentality, too. So I feel there's a lot more opportunities working in SaaS than maybe in some of the more traditional like CPG or publishing that I was in in the past. Okay. So Laura, thank you for giving us that quick little journey into your career background. So obviously, you've seen a lot. You've worked in events pretty much your whole career and through different industries. So I'm really curious, what would you say has been one of the most noticeable shifts in your field as you've navigated your career? I've got some follow-up questions for you, but just like Looking back as a whole, like what would you say are some of those big differences, changes, evolutions that you've seen in the events industry from your perspective? 
like I said, I think even when I was working in publishing, like event marketer wasn't really a title. It was you are the event planner and you plan the parties. And it's like, you don't really have that level of respect as maybe the other traditional marketers on the team would have had. And I've really seen that within the last few years, only maybe within the last five years, I would say that event marketer as a job title is really gaining respect and notoriety and people realize what an important role it actually is. And you're not not just like the girl that plans the parties, like it's it's actual strategic programs you're planning that are company-wide and touch a lot of different channels and different functions throughout the company. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, I guess if you don't mind, I would love to dig into that thought a little bit more. You know, you said you're touching several different parts of the business and you're running these sometimes very complex marketing programs, leveraging events. What is that value that event marketers bring to businesses and how have you been able to either like demonstrate that or articulate that? And you said something that really stood out to me, just the respect level for event marketers is kind of at an all-time high. And I'm wondering how you've seen that actually manifest. Like, what are those real life examples of like, oh, that's evidence that, you know, this field, my role carries significance and demonstrates a real value to the business? Mm -hmm. I think really you look at how like leadership is excited and interested in what I'm doing and having that kind of seat at the table and access to leadership and you know, talking to the sales org leaders, talking to the C-suite level leaders, the marketing leaders, you know, I think that's really where that respect is coming from because they realize your event is important and they want to know what's happening, what you're doing before you actually do it. So I think that's where that kind of respect is created. That makes total sense. And follow-up question for you, you know, what has the impact of COVID been? in all of this? Like, do you think that that has had a greater influence in this like newer dynamic in terms of, you know, event marketing really being a respected function within Mm -hmm. and field within marketing? Yeah, I think everyone really noticed the gap when we couldn't be in person anymore. And it really challenged us to level up our game virtually. Nowadays, if you have a for lack of a better word, crappy virtual experience, like people aren't going to stay on long. Like you can't be forgiven anymore of just, you know, putting something together. It needs to have that like finesse of a proper program. I think back to like 2019 and previous doing like virtual versions of events and we would have an in-person event and we would just live stream it. And that experience was just Horrible. (laughs) We've all done it. We've all done it. Here's the link to the live stream and the camera's just waiting for the event to start or something. And it's just, it's literally a boring live stream. No engaging chat. No, nothing. Like maybe there was a chat. I don't even know. (laughs) Right. To think back on that and today that would not fly. And I would be horrified to put that out. But that's what having this COVID has done. It's, you know, forced us to level up in all experiences, in-person, virtual, hybrid, whatever you're doing, it needs to be seamless now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, preach. (laughs) Okay. So 
that's like your view on like, you know, kind of like macro shifts in our field. Thank you for that perspective. I'm curious, like, you know, you talked just now, you just mentioned like, you know, a few years ago, early days at at your time at Hootsuite, at least your virtual event strategy was very different than it is today. Can you also talk to me a little bit about what your team looked like when you joined Mm -hmm. Hootsuite? You know, coming in, what was your directive? Like, what were some of your big goals? And how was your team kind of thinking about and executing events then? And then I'm really curious to hear naturally, like, how has that all evolved since Mm -hmm. you joined? And, you know, as we've just been speaking to, there's been so many changes and challenges, headwinds, but also like opportunities for evolution in the last Mm -hmm. three to four years. So I would love to hear your perspective on all of that. Well, I will say back then, virtual event strategy was not a thing for us at all, other than those those horrible live streams that now I'm embarrassed about. But back at the time, that was, you know, standard. But back in 2018, when I started, we were doing so many events. We were doing like, I don't know, 50 sponsored events a year, like trade show events, like people traveling all over North America. We had events like in our regions as well. We would also host at least two larger in-person events that usually were in our major cities. So like New York, London, Sydney, either Vancouver, Toronto, and some smaller hosted events a year. So it was totally different than it is now. (laughs) COVID really made us take a look at things, how everything works. Our strategy moving forward is fewer events with larger impact and not just one-off events. You know, I know we'll probably get into this later, but an event is just not one and done. The content from it can be repurposed, reused, you know, milk that as much as you can. So creating event programs, our sponsored events, we are way fewer. We are not, you know, sponsored events are expensive. So really make sure it's that it's that audience you're really going after. So we go to the ones that make sense for us and we know there will be it's a net new lead gen opportunity for us and that is great and that's why we do it but we're not doing 50 of those a year anymore. We're being selective. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. And how has your like actual team structure changed at all over the past mm-hmm. few years? What does that look like today? And what did it yeah. look like when you first joined? When I first joined, there was three of us. Okay. And then now I'm the sole event person at Hootsuite. And I work with cross channels. So Demand Gen, we work really closely together doing some programs for them. And then I have to hire contractors and agencies to help me execute. Mm-hmm. So hoping we can like with this new program we're starting to build, hopefully one day we'll be expanding again. <laughs> yes, very exciting. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like, you know, the subtext I'm getting there is you've been able to find probably a lot of room for efficiency gains. You know, mm-hmm. you are kind of a one woman, one superwoman show and <laughs> doing it all, working really cross functionally with the other marketing departments and still it sounds like finding a way to to do more even with fewer people on your team. So I definitely would love to hear a little bit more. This is like perfectly leading into my next question. I'm kind of obsessed these days with just understanding other event marketers' playbooks or events because, you know, there are many ways to skin a cat, as they say, although I would never do that. I love cats. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come for me, cat people. (laughs) 
But, you know, yeah, I, I would just love to hear a bit about what your Hootsuite events playbook looks like today, especially because, you know, I'm actually shocked to hear that you, it's just one of you doing so much. But I think, as I just said, the through line there, the kind of the thread is that like, you're working smarter, not harder. And so I would love to learn from you and and just have you unpack for us kind of everything that goes along with, you know, scaling events at Hootsuite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I will say it isn't just me because I have to work with the events wouldn't happen without the cross-functional team, our brand team, our demand gen team. And so, you know, whereas I'm the only single one in events, it's really a marketing initiative when it happens. But as for our playbook, like back when I started, it was almost just like, this is the way we always do it. You know, more pop-up banner, tablecloth, transaction, let's teach you, here's a demo. And I've always really pushed, and this kind of started in the CPG area of like experiential marketing. And that's something like a big buzzword right now, I know. But like, it is really about, you know, we want to create experiences for our audience. We're not here to do a sales pitch. I honestly feel that if someone loves a brand and, you know, connects with their content or likes the experience that they're doing if they're interested in a the product, they, they will ask questions. You know, we don't need to like draw, we draw them in naturally. Don't like be like trying to grab them out of the crowd and be like, Hey, come try this, spin this wheel. You know, I'm totally against that kind of marketing. Yes, so agreed. we start with, we're creating experiences, you know? Um, and yeah, I say, don't be a salesperson, you know, you're there to engage with these people. So as I said before, we are doing sponsored events still, and they are very targeted. We're making sure it is the right audience where we want our brand awareness to grow. And so we're looking at brand awareness and engagement with those. Virtually is more where we're looking for that mass lead gen. I would say like doing trade shows for only lead gen, you know, it doesn't work. You can host your own event and have a much better ROI on it. For a fraction of the cost. <laughs> exactly. So it makes more sense. So putting more in virtual for that lead gen, you know, and then smaller, more intimate events for customers that to show we appreciate them, you know, people further down the pipeline, any prospects, you know, that are already in conversations. That's kind of where I'm seeing in-person play. I'm not seeing it, you know, as much as like the net new. Yeah, I totally agree. We're seeing the same things and and kind of running a similar playbook at Splash for a lot of the same reasons, right? That the trade shows and conferences, they, you know, when done right, I think given, you know, got to take into consideration the audience and also like the time of year, like does it align with your current marketing goals? Like do you need to drive brand awareness and or lead gen? But Honestly, I feel like you're so right. The the virtual space for lead gen and like top of funnel activities works so well. It's so much more efficient. Can't get rid of those in-person events because there's just a special something that you get from them. But being really specific with who you're inviting to in-person events and what the purpose of those in-person events or goals, I should say, you know, are and just being clear on that is really helpful. So I love to hear that that's the way you're thinking about your strategy because selfishly it gives me some, <laughs> some validation. But also I think that I'm 
hearing that from a lot of our other customers and community members that are finding the same kind of outcomes, right? Like what's Mm -hmm. working today? So that's really helpful to hear from you. We talked a little bit about just now, like the different kinds of goals that you might tie into these different event types and formats. How are you thinking about measuring success and proving ROI from those different programs? Maybe said differently for those big trade shows and conferences, for the smaller in-person events, and then for your like kind of like top of funnel virtual what are the most important metrics in your mind and and what KPIs are you paying attention to the most? And I'm also really curious what your leadership team seems to care about the most, because mm-hmm. sometimes those things can be a little different. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so unpack that for me a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I would say first and foremost, you need to be aligned with your leadership on your KPIs for events. And, you know, I've fallen into the trap in the past before where we're planning something and then, you know, marketing leaders are like, oh, we'll put this as a KPI and this is a KPI and this is a KPI. And it's like, all right, okay, fine. But now this event is becoming a huge checklist of everything to everyone. And so now I have like my primary KPIs for an event and my secondary KPIs for an event. So I organize it that way that this is the one I agree with leadership. This is what we're doing for this event. If it's a virtual it's a virtual lead gen event, then obviously we're looking at source pipeline opportunities created, you know, watching it go down the line, because especially in SaaS, it's not immediate for sales. So, you know, watching when those deals close, I'm still having Q1 and Q2 deals from events close right now. So, you know, it is a process, but those are the main ones we look for that. If it is a customer event, then it's upsell and retention we're looking at. And then if we're somewhere in the middle at a sponsored event, maybe we we do have some of those net new numbers or source pipeline numbers, but also it is a brand awareness and engagement play there. So that's really where we get into using social to report some of those details. User-generated content is a huge one for me. And I really like communicating to this to leadership because they can they can see it. So I set, you know, goals like, okay, if we're doing this pop-up really cool interactive activation, I want to see a X amount of people post publicly about this on, you know, Instagram or LinkedIn. And to go see those people post, grab those snapshots, share it with leadership. You know, they like seeing like that's people engaging with our brand, not just you know, the awareness, it's always hard to track awareness, like X amount of people saw your booth or walked through your booth or dwell time in booth. But you know, to show, oh, they actually interacted with whatever we put together, and they liked it so much that they posted about it. You know, that's a really cool stat to share. I love all of that, which you just shared. I'm like, (laughs) taking notes furiously. (laughs) So two follow up questions to that. The first is you said, you know, when those events that just become like the checklist of like everything to everyone, Mm -hmm. how do you avoid that? Like, what's your strategy? You know, I know there are other event marketers listening to this episode (laughs) who are like, oh, relatable. I came up with this idea or I was asked to run this program for this reason with this goal in mind and these, you know, these primary KPIs in mind. And now I have input from this department and this team or this person on leadership. Like, how do you balance that? Or what would be your advice to someone who's Mm -hmm. navigating that conundrum right now? 
Yeah. It's harder when you're first starting out because, you know, you need to find your voice and to like say to someone who is C-suite level, like, no, that is not the intention of this event. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Making my, you're making me sweat just thinking about it. <laughs> but if you have, especially like if your direct manager is supportive, if you've put in front of them, these are the goals, then you can keep coming back to it. And even I will write on like, if we do a deck for our executive leadership team of like, this is the event, I'll be like, here are the goals. These are the main three goals. It is not this. We have other programs for this. And I will literally put it on there. So they just can concise and see like, okay, this is how it is. And you know what? Sourced pipeline isn't the main goal of this because, you know, they all want source pipeline. Of course they do. (laughs) Of course. Everybody does. It's a customer event. And look at the retention we had. These people renewed or look at the upsell, you know, after they got to meet with our salespeople in person and we showed them this new feature, you know, so it's just being very clear and sticking to it and not letting people like in earlier in my career. Yes, I would wobble and be like, okay, fine. I'll add that in there. But I've just seen it's not worth it. You know, the yeah. events that have like, these are the three main goals and you stick to them, they're so much more successful. You, In the long run, you'll be happy you stuck to your guns. Okay, so key takeaway here for me and hopefully for our listeners, don't dilute the success of your event programs by having too many goals or not being clear on what the actual goal of the event or the event program is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Events are expensive. (laughs) You know, it's that's why they can be the thing that get cut from leadership. So you know, when you start out, those goals have to be so clear and do not proceed with planning anything until why are we doing this event? (laughs) Mm. Yes, that is so important. Okay, so talk to me a little bit more. You kind of mentioned like, you know, if you're putting together a deck for leadership, I know this has been top of mind for me and other marketers I've been talking to. Can you kind of explain more how you leverage data to educate leadership or or sometimes it's just like the data behind your strategy, right? Sometimes it's the data of like how things are performing, which informs your strategy, hopefully. But like, how are you communicating all of that or rather educating, you know, to educating your leadership team and maybe even the broader revenue teams about the events that you're running? Yeah, I think education is key. You have to be letting them know why you're doing it and what your goals are. So everyone's on the same page. Yeah. So I think one of the best things we can learn about is from past events we've done. Now there's so much more data, especially with virtual. We can see, you know, what sessions are people staying in? What ones are they cutting out of early? What resonates with our audience? So I think showing them like leadership, that data can really help tell a story of, you know, why this is the direction we're going into. It's because we've learned this in the past. So, you know, tell a story with your data to leadership and, you know, have it whenever I do decks or anything, I keep it short. You know, I'm not one for a deck of a million pages, you know, like a few slides. This is why we're doing it. This is why we made these decisions. And this is the data to back it up. I think they all think about data. (laughs) They all want numbers. They all want to see that, you know, you can you can be the best storyteller ever. But if your decisions are not data backed, they won't buy in. And I'm sorry, I'm digging into the weeds with you here. (laughs) You know, like, where are you getting that data from? I use, you mentioned like the mm-hmm. tracking the sessions and especially for virtual. So talk to me a little bit more about just maybe your process for making sure your events are set up to 
gather the data that you would need to be able to make these informed business decisions. Yeah, I think we've learned so much with the virtual, like I was saying, that really can drive where you go content wise and what works with your audience. But also even in person, creating these experiences now, like seeing what makes people, you know, what is drawing them in, what is making their conversations. So how long are they staying? You know, there are those, be- we've done beacons before in the booths of, of the dwell time. And it can be really fascinating too, you know, who's staying and what area are they staying in your booth and what experience are they engaging with? But I think, you know, whatever you're needing to try and convey the leadership, there is now a way to get data around it. So I could go into every little thing. There's yeah. so, you know, but yeah, I would say one of the best things is the content. I love that you can see like, oh, we even look at like our webinars and what they're doing and like, oh, some people, majority of them dropped off at this time. Okay, I guess that's not the best subject. Whereas, oh my goodness, this one webinar, people had so many questions, like we are right till the end. They need more. Like we should turn mm. this into something bigger. Mm. So speaking of... Have you ever, or related to this, like the content piece specifically, when you're thinking about, you know, shaping future events and programs, have you ever had or like noticed a disconnect specifically with like your sales team in in terms of like promoting or like supporting an event or a program because of the content or the topic? Like, is there ever any challenges that you experience in general, like just like getting your salespeople to be excited. Yeah. (laughs) Like to like get them excited about the programs that Mm -hmm. you are creating and running like for them, you know, like Mm -hmm. for the business, but like also for them, you know? And I guess like the bigger question is like, how do you get your salespeople to rally around your, your event programs and how do you get their buy-in? You know, I think this is one of the hardest things for event marketers and it's something we all like to complain about together. (laughs) (laughs) because we do. (laughs) I don't think we've unlocked the exact, no one's, you know, no one's perfect. Maybe if you have a sales team of five at a really small company, you're winning at this, but you know, it is an uphill battle, especially with larger sales teams. You ultimately, you need to market to the sales team. (laughs) You know, they want to know what is it, what's in it for them? You know, how is this event going to benefit their work? And I do appreciate it. They have hard jobs. They're busy. They're trying to close the deals. So I get why we can be annoying and an afterthought. But if you market to them and you say, this is what you need to, to do. And this is what you can, you know, this was what will help, help you win those sales and you will succeed by doing it. Then they're more likely to buy in. You know, you can also do the traditional like, do spiffs, you know, you're always show up at their meetings, be the squeaky wheel, you know, I think you have to tell them 10 times for them to get it once. And that's okay. They're busy people. You know, they're not stupid. They're busy people. And I appreciate the work they're doing. So, you know, slowly you can convert them one by one, you know, they'll buy into your marketing to them, they'll do it, they'll see the results. And then after that, they're bought in. And I have tons of people on our sales team that are fantastic and amazing, and will help me out every time and will promote the event and get people to the event. And that's because they've bought in, they've seen the results. But a lot of people who haven't, they don't feel it's worth their time, but they'll eventually get converted. (laughs) Fingers crossed. That makes total sense. Yeah marketing internally to your salespeople to get Mm -hmm. that buy-in. 
Yeah. Even a video or something, you know, get them excited. Oh, smart. You put your, put your internal resources. Like why it might seem like a waste of time. It isn't because then it can help it become a better event all in one. Yeah. I love that. I'm definitely going to experiment with some, some video, internal videos for our sales team. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Moving on because we've been, uh, I've, I still have several more questions for you and I do want to be mindful of time. I really, you know, I've got a Hootsuite legend in my presence. I would be remiss (laughs) if I didn't dig into the role of social in your event strategy. Mm. You better understand that, you know, because being real, I feel that like, For some event marketers, and I will call myself out, sometimes that can be me, social media can be an afterthought in your event strategy. And so I'd love to learn what your engagement strategy is, leveraging social in your events, right? Because I'm I'm sure that I have a lot to learn on this topic. And so I would love to pick your brain on that a bit. Yeah, no, we have a fantastic social team here at Hootsuite. And I work really closely with them on every single event. We have a social strategy pre, during and post for no matter what we're doing. It is important, you know, and it's not just to advertise the event either. You know, it's an engagement strategy, especially during the event. I try and send social team members to the events we do and like cover them almost like, you know, a reporter would cover it. But we had like one awesome social team member, Trish was in New York with us in May covering social media week. And she was doing TikToks and like things that I wouldn't even think of, like covering the event. And it was just so great to see and like so refreshing to see a different way of doing it. We also do the traditional like Twitter, we will be on Twitter, engaging with the audience that are, you know, responding to people who are maybe watching our CMO speak, and we'll have someone engage with them. We'll do Twitter threads throughout sessions and cover sessions, turning things into like LinkedIn carousels of like number one stats we learned or data that we found. And like, like I said about content, it can just keep coming after an event And, you know, it's already starting, like we started during the event with social and we make sure we're having conversations, you know, we are engaging on social during, and that's one of our KPIs we look at as well too, is social share of voice. So what is your social share of voice versus the other brands that are sponsoring an event? For example, what is your social share of voice versus the event itself? And I will say we have had more positive, higher social share of voice of than the event that we have sponsored in the past, because our team is that great. (laughs) That's very impressive. Mm -hmm. And obviously, your team is using Hootsuite to power this strategy. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, oh, sounds like a lot. But I'm sure if you have a tool. We could be on every channel, every Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So I am... Very curious, like, can you like give me an example pre, during, post social strategy for an event? I'm just like, you know, selfishly, I'm like, I've got you here and (laughs) I want to make the most Mm -hmm. of this and take advantage. So can you share a little bit more about like some of the like specific tactics maybe that might be included in, in your social strategy for events? Yeah. So pre-event, you know, it's always about advertising where we're going to be, what we're doing, if it's our own event or if it is a sponsored event, but say it's a sponsored event, we have one coming up. 
And if we have speaking sessions, it's about promoting those speaking sessions. One of the tools we have, which is called Amplify, it's great because you can create posts and put it into Amplify, the app, and anyone who is employee at Hootsuite has, can reshare it onto their channels. So we will pre-create these posts of like, our CMO is speaking at Social Media Week, which she did in May. And, you know, here's how you can tune in. And we'll put that on Amplify. And everyone, like lots of people in the company will help promote it because it's just a click of the button for them. So that's a great way to really get the word out. During, like I said, we usually cover some sessions and we don't only cover our own. We pick ones that are interesting as well, too. And we go cover other sessions, especially if we have any partners that are doing sessions, we'll cover those as well. We will engage with anyone who's engaging with our content. We try and have some type of activation. So, you know, and it's always social first. Our activations, we always think, okay, is this Instagrammable? Is this a social moment? Is this something, you know? So usually our user-generated content is going off. So we are engaging with that. And then post, you know, replaying clips, creating blog posts, like the list is endless of what you can do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it just continues on. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really helpful picture. Thank you for kind of breaking that down for me. Okay, so I want to go back to kind of this almost, I don't know, moment of shock I had when you were like, I am the events person. Yes, you're working (laughs) cross-functionally, but I really want to understand from your perspective what it's looked like to scale events for Hootsuite. I know like in terms of doing the maybe bigger trade shows and sponsored events, you're being more intentional, maybe doing less, but like, you know, that's leading to, you know, better outcomes, which we love. But in general, like, how do you think about, like, how does scale fit into what you're doing? And you said it, it's not just like, you never want to just do a one-off event, right? And so like, how are you thinking about taking what you're doing now? And like, how are you thinking about scale for the future? And, you know, like, how, I guess, like, a twofold question, how have you scaled your programs to date? And or, Mm -hmm how are you thinking about scale as you think about 2023 and beyond? Yeah. Like I know we've already said some of the things like clips or social turning sessions into podcasts or a blog, or there's so many options you can do. But I think one of the important things also is you can also scale those sponsored events that you do as well. Speak to those organizers when you first are doing the contract and can you get like video clips from it? And then you can use those clips, you know, on social and that can make your sponsored event go further because owned event, obviously, hopefully you're all over it with the repurposing of the content, but it's harder like getting that, you know, out of the sponsored events. But one of the great things too, is they, those events are realizing too, how much they have to. So a lot of the times you can reshare. So if they don't outright give you the video, which a lot of them actually will, and they understand because you're advertising their event at the same time. That's true. (laughs) Okay. So we've been talking a lot about content and I think that makes sense because, you know, an event is either a way to like share and distribute content and, or like generate new content. So that this makes total sense to me. Really curious. What are your thoughts on gated versus ungated (laughs) content? Yeah. Like, yeah. how do you think about that? 
This is like always, it seems to be the most recent struggle with marketing teams and, you know, <laughs> gating oh, yeah. and ungating. Oh, yeah. I'm team like leading towards ungated. I think I really like the idea of ungating most of it. And then maybe there are a few select resources you can if someone's really diving down deep. I see, though, the days of completely ungated coming. I think if you are putting out great content that people are consuming as a brand and they keep coming back for more, you will be top of mind for them when that time comes that they need that new software, they need to renew, you know, maybe, oh, I need to renew this, but I really appreciated what this company has been sending me and, you know, the information I find on their site, I'm going to reach out to them because they're experts in their field. So, you know, it's the hard struggle. I'm happy it is not like the olden days where everything was gated (laughs) and you couldn't really get any information. It'd be like two sentences and you have to download this to get anything more. Whereas like a lot of the things we're doing now, majority of it is ungated. And then there's maybe some special smaller resources that you can get that are gated. Interesting. I have to say, I totally agree you know, I think it makes sense to gate certain things at Splash. You know, obviously, if it's very like product focused or specific, as you said, people are really getting down in there, going deep. You know, maybe we gate some things, but you're right. It's all about just adding, actually adding value to people's mm-hmm. lives. I think back, you know, the purpose of leveraging events in your business or marketing strategy is to give people something, an experience, community, a new tool, a new resource, inspiration. There are so many things that you could offer, so many ways you could offer value. And I think you hit the nail on the head that if you are intentionally doing that, then when it's time for this person to be a qualified buyer, they're going to think of your brand. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have given me so much of your time and dropped so many gems Before we wrap up today, I do want to kind of touch on some of the what we talked about in the beginning of our conversation, just around your personal career journey. And as I said, one of my favorite things about getting to be this podcast host and bring so many amazing people on and interviewing them is just hearing their unique professional experiences and kind of paths and being able to then pick out those common themes. Also love to celebrate the differences because no two paths are exactly the same. And so I would love to wrap up today's conversation by asking you to think about, you know, what would you say to someone who's maybe just starting their career? Maybe they're starting their career in events or in marketing and you know, what pearls of wisdom would you have to share with them as they're beginning their journey? Yeah, I first have to say that I love that becoming an event marketer is a more like well known career path nowadays, and that there are things like this podcast that people can go to and listen to. I would have loved that back in the day. I wish I had it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I think one of the most important pieces of advice is like, Okay, if you're already going wanting to be an event marketer, you're probably creative, you're probably highly organized and really great at communicating because those are like very key things that you need. And if not, work on those. But, you know, (laughs) focus on learning the business and how you can move the needle. You know, as we were saying, all those data back decisions, that is the most important part of your job, you know, communicating that to leadership 
you know, showing that an event actually can, you know, create ARR for the company, because if it's not, you're not going to have a job. <laughs> so, you know, it's so important to to learn that. And that's how you do move up in as an event marketer. You know, when you're starting out, yes, it is all the fun, creative, you know, organizing, planning. But then, yeah, if you want to keep stepping up and leading, it's it's learning the business side of things and learning how all the different parts of the business work together. And I would say like, you know, there is a difference between an event planner and event marketer. And, you know, I've been both. And it's totally, if you are an event planner, that's a great career. It's so creative, so fun organization, you know, weddings and that type of thing, go for it. But yeah, if you want to be an event marketer, you really get clear on business goals and that the business is trying to achieve and how you can help move the needle. I love that. I think that is very well said. And (laughs) hopefully anyone tuned in today who's thinking about dipping their toe in or stepping fully into event planning or event marketing or marketing in general, and you want to use events in your marketing strategy, take that advice to heart because it will definitely serve you in the long run. Laura, thank you so much. This has been so fun. I feel like I have a ton more questions for you, but we'll have to bring you back onto the podcast (laughs) for a part two at some point. That's it for today. As I said, thanks for joining me and and sharing all of your gems with me and with our, you know, our listeners. And we'll talk soon. And also good luck on all your events coming up. I hope that the rest of the year is smooth for you and that you prove all the ROI (laughs) and get all the budget that you need for 2023 because that is the season we are in, folks. Mm -hmm. Talk about our budget. Planning for 2023. Annual planning. (laughs) Yep. We're all there. We're all in it. All right, Laura, it's just been such a treat to chat with you today. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. 